This is The Lydia Project, Conversations with Christian Women. Our name is inspired by the life-changing conversation that Lydia had with Paul, recorded in Acts 16. On this podcast, you'll hear from a variety of women whose lives have also been impacted by the truth of the gospel. Your hosts, Tori Walker and Taryn Hayes, hope that you too will be challenged and inspired by how the gospel truths are being worked out in the lives of their guests, ordinary women who serve an extraordinary God. Today, your host is Tori Walker. All right. Well, Joe, thank you so much for being my guest today. After a few failed false attempts, here we are. It's great to uh, see you on Zoom and to be able to chat to you for the Lydia Project. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Tori. It's great to be here. That's good. Now, you've got a lovely background there. Is that looking out across uh, St Andrew's Courtyard? Is that where you are? Yeah, so we're in St Andrew's House, just behind the cathedral in Sydney. And, yeah, we've got this lovely courtyard and we've got a passion fruit vine growing. It's freezing outside today, but it actually looks nice as long as you're not out there. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, same here. It's a freezing cold day here. Um, Now, I'd love to start by asking you how you came to faith in Christ. Well, I grew up in a nominal Catholic family. We'd go to church at Christmas and Easter and did my Holy Communion, my confirmation and would go along to church and didn't quite understand what was happening in a Roman Catholic service. Lots of memorised things that I never memorised. So I would stand there pretending that I actually was saying the words, but I wasn't actually. But also just never quite getting what it meant for me. And I felt like someone had given me some of the pieces of a jigsaw puzzle but without all of them and without the box with the lid that actually helped to put it together. That's what it felt like. And then year 11 and 12, I went to an Anglican school and went along regularly to chapel and to Christian studies classes, still was trying to piece it together. I was generally the one arguing with the Christian studies teacher, trying to pull out what I thought were apparent contradictions in the Bible or tough questions. So if you're an SRA, a scripture teacher, and you've got a student like that, be encouraged. But at the the time also, I met some teachers at the school who I could tell there was something different about them. They were Christian, they were publicly Christian, but there was a real warmth and you could see that it was actually part of their whole life. So it wasn't until I was at uni that I really heard the gospel for the first time, that I actually heard that Jesus is a real person that he is not just a figure on a crucifix, that he'd risen from the dead, that he's the son of God. And the big thing for me was that he was offering a relationship with me. And my first steps of faith uh, were not some complex understanding of justification by faith. It was really just this offer of a relationship and responding with a yes to that offer. But it changed everything in my life. So living on campus, my life had gone off a a bit off the rails. But from that first day, there was a difference. My friends noticed the difference. My family noticed the difference. There There was some quite dramatic changes straight off the bat. But then there was also this uh, lovely, gentle, steady work that God was doing to make me more like Jesus. And I was, I was really thankful to, be, to become a Christian into a campus group that were really focused on ministry and especially challenging people about missionary work. So even from the early days of being a Christian, they challenged me to consider ministry for the rest of my life. So I was really thankful for that. Yeah, that's great. And just to help me understand a bit the Catholic worldview, obviously you're just a representative of one, but you said 
Jesus, you sort of realised he was a person and not just a figure on a cross. Was it that you knew he was a historical figure, but he was only ever that dead guy on the cross? Or or was it even less than that, that you didn't even really think he existed? I think it was even less than that. I think I got so lost in the liturgy and the tradition that to realise that it was a person and a relationship, that, that just had never occurred to me at all before. So I knew he was a person, had heard some stories about him when I'd go to church, but, yeah, that was, it was a game changer mm. to find out that he was a real person, that I could have a relationship with him was just amazing. Yeah, yeah. and that he loved you and oh. accepted you. Yeah, and to just keep on unfolding what grace and what the gospel is and I'm still unfolding it over my life and still kind of drilling down into that and and soaking more deeply in it yeah to hear about the forgiveness that we have in Jesus that we get to become part of God's family that it completely changes how I see myself and the world it changes my life priorities I I switch degrees as a result of becoming a Christian I would just yeah Completely changed everything, as it yeah. should. Yeah, yeah. But I just, yeah, I just never made those connections before that. Yeah, of course. Wow. So what degree did you change from and to? <laughs> so I was doing a degree in accounting and information systems and switched to a social work degree. <laughs> and I'm sure my family thought I was nuts. Because, you know, I'd, I'd gotten really good marks at school. This was going to be a really good income earner, set me up, you know, stable, you know, profession for life. To just sort of switch to social work for my family. They were, they've always been really encouraging and supportive. But I think they were thinking, what has happened? You know, I'd come home and talk about church and Jesus. And I'm, yeah, I'm, they get, you know, top marks for just walking with me. Even And they were not Christians for them sort of traveling with me through that. Yeah, it's just amazing. And so was it a big deal for them, you going to a non-Catholic church or were they sort of, okay, this was your decision by then? Yeah, they were quite nominal. I think it was hard because I became a Christian into a Pentecostal church, so chalk and cheese, and they came along a couple of times to see what that was like, and I can't imagine what that was like for them to sit through that. The lovely thing was I'd been living on campus when I became a Christian. Uh, Because I changed degrees, I lost my scholarship, uh, and so I no longer could afford to live on campus. I moved back home, and I said to my mum, oh, no, she said to me, if you go to a church locally, I'll come with you. And so so I was thinking, okay, let's find a church locally. And we found a Baptist church up the the road and she started coming along. And there was a lovely older uh, retired missionary at the church and she came alongside my mum and shared the gospel with her and she became a Christian. And we could tell before she even told us there was such a difference in her life. But it was just, yeah, it's just absolutely lovely. Oh, that is, that is great. That is really great. So you did social work, but then I know that you must have studied theology at some point because you are the Reverend Joe Gibbs. <laughs> so give me a, a brief overview of your career from uh, social work undergrad to Rev. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Life is an adventure. Uh, So I I chose social work thinking what would be helpful for ministry. 
And uh, as part of my involvement with my campus group, I heard about the needs of the Muslim world. But honestly, at the time, I felt really uncomfortable around Muslim women. And it was only through some deep friendships that developed with some Muslim women on campus that I started to develop a love for Muslim women that went alongside that challenge that I'd heard uh, and that challenge to take the gospel out. And so in my social work degree, I deliberately chose community development subjects. I was thinking cross-cultural work, thinking about pastoral ministry and, and the skills that would come from that. Uh, thankfully, I met my husband who was similarly interested in serving in the Muslim world. That's such a statistical anomaly, partly because my mum's Bible study was praying so hard that I wouldn't go overseas a single woman. <laughs> and uh, so power of prayer. Uh, but we, we met, uh, got married, and then we headed to Sydney Missionary and Bible College to study there uh, for three years, which was great, super encouraging place, got to develop good theological frameworks and think about how, how to take the gospel out cross-culturally. Uh, and then we headed over to South Asia with CMS and we were there for 11 years working in a Muslim megacity. So in our, we eventually settled in a suburb uh, of about 2 million people. A suburb and, of 2 million. Yeah. How yeah. big was the city? Uh, probably the distance from... Oh, this is for Sydney listeners, probably from Cherrybrook to Chatsworth. That was the size of the whole city, about the population of Australia in one city, probably more. That's crazy, isn't it? It wow. is. It's hard to imagine. It's like um, people used to ask me what it was like, and I said, it's like living in a Where's Wally book on steroids. Just people everywhere. Really? Yeah, wow. really quite amazing. And we'd come back to Australia, and it would feel so empty. Yeah. And it, feel unsafe because you wouldn't have people around you all the time there's in some ways there's a sense of safety that you've always got people around you yes yeah but just uh overcrowded uh, we in summer we'd lose electricity every second hour because there wasn't enough electricity to go around the city and you think summer 40 degrees sweat humidity yeah yeah it was quite amazing but great huge needs and a church that was, um, even after many years of sharing the gospel, was still not self-sustaining, uh, still not growing without outside help. But just having the joy of walking alongside national women, discipling them, also walking alongside missionary women, because some people had come overseas with two weeks of training. That was it. So to be able to set up some training and some encouragement for them, some equipping so that they would be able to last long-term in the field. And so your work was mainly based with the church that you were part of? Yeah, so we worked with house churches, so not with the established church there. So, yeah, meeting in people's homes and at one stage in a school where there was a positive and welcoming, yeah, so this small house church movement that was growing and just people becoming Christians and wanting to grow in Jesus and grow in their knowledge of the word. At one point I was part of a women's Bible study where the only person in the group who could read was the national leader. And she'd learned to read so that she could read the Bible. She'd become a Christian and decided she wanted to be able to read so that she could read the Bible so she could read it with others. But she, You'd be sitting in this room and she would be the only one who could be reading the Bible. So wow. completely the way that you run a bible study how you do the questions 
thinking about memorizing scripture being very concrete yeah so just that's just incredible privilege to be part of gosh you'd want to really make sure you didn't sort of waste time you know like you'd really want to make sure you were looking at key passages and getting those key truths locked down if people couldn't read yeah, wow. key discipleship. Yeah, it starts. It, you don't have the luxury of oh, they'll be reading for themselves as well. This is it. Yeah, once a week. This is the input that they'll be getting, and what do they need to know to grow as a Christian? Yeah. Wow. And so this is all in a language that was your second language, like yeah. language. So when you were working over there, did you have any kids when you were overseas? Yeah, we uh, our kids were born while we were serving overseas. Both of them were born in Australia. We came back to have the births, partly because uh, the traffic in our city was so bad that if I'd gone into labour in peak hour, it would have taken an hour and a half to get to the hospital in public transport. And I just thought, oh, that's just <laughs> just not something I want to experience. And so we we came back to Australia for the birth of our kids. But, yeah, they grew up the early years of their life. Yeah, yeah. And... Another question I had along the way, you mentioned that when you became a Christian, you were involved in a Pentecostal group at uni and then you ended up at a Baptist church with your mum sort of locally and then you ended up at SMBC. Was that a real adjustment theologically or were you sort of more new Christian growing, taking it all in, kind of working out who who you were on the way? Yeah, partly new Christian growing. Partly, I, I found it really hard to sustain kind of the culture of the Pentecostal church. There's such a, there was such a big emphasis in the church that I was part of on overcoming and kind of victory in the Christian life that didn't, didn't have a strong theology of suffering. It, it often felt like it was intentionally or unintentionally uh, focused on what I was doing to generate my Christian life rather than what Christ had done. And so I could see God taking me on this gentle process of different denominations, but but really to learning to build in that kind of ordinary discipleship in my life and to be able to trust in the truths of the word and to really and really to rest in all that Christ has done and not what I generate in my Christian life. And it's interesting coming out of the Catholic Church, initially, I was so anti-liturgy because I just, I hadn't gotten it. It felt superficial. But now I love the prayer book. So I'm very thankful for God's patience with me and bringing me that on, on that journey so that now I participate in a prayer book service or, you know, in reading the creeds or prayers together. And I love them because they're heartfelt and I understand the theology behind them and I can say them with great conviction, but it's been a slow and a gentle journey to get to that stage. Yep, yep. Oh, thank you for that. And then obviously you guys decided to come back to Australia. Uh, your kids would have been primary school age by then, I'm guessing? Yeah, yeah. Well, early early primary school, yeah. Yeah, and then so what brought you back? What made you decide that that season was finishing Oh, yeah, my husband, before we had met years earlier or been married, my husband had developed chronic fatigue after a trip to a similar part of the world and recovered from that, not fully, no one ever fully recovers from chronic fatigue. 
but towards the end of our final term, um, he developed a relapse of his chronic fatigue. And so we came back for an extended home assignment, had really good support from CMS and from medical specialists and the pastoral care at CMS. And then we went back for a short time and just realised that it was time to call it quits, uh, that it just wasn't sustainable for us longer term. So we ended up about seven years ago back in Sydney trying to work out what we would do and trying to work out what, what would happen with my husband's health. And I took on a role as a family minister at a church. Up until that point, I'd done five kids' talks in my entire life, taught a bit of scripture, you know, been involved in a playgroup, not much more than that. So I'm very thankful for the law in providing that role. And amazingly, in a part of Sydney where we were already living, so it was just incredible. He's so generous. Loved working with kids more than I ever thought. Loved working with families. Having not grown up in a Christian family, it taught me about family and household discipleship that set up some good models and rhythms for us as a family. So, so thankful for that. Uh, and then moved from there to a pastoral care role at a really big church at St Paul's at Castle Hill. And that was really interesting. I had to dust off my social work training that I hadn't kind of used for years and then bring that together with my theological training to consider what does, what does the gospel say to this space? We don't just want to be doing Christian social work. We actually want our pastoral care to be part of the discipleship frameworks we have across the whole church. And the gospel speaks into our suffering and it speaks into our questions about who we are and Oh, yeah, so it, it's just such an important thing to bring together and did that for a couple of years, grew into the discipleship area with women in that uh, and then six months ago came here to ADM, to Anglican Deaconess Ministries as the CEO. Thank you, Joe. and I'm keen to ask you all about Anglican Deaconess Ministries, but before I do, can I just ask, what was it like for you? I mean, I think the answer will be probably quite hard, but what was it like for you to sort of come back and feel like, okay, well, my husband's not 100%. I'm going to have to support him and also be actively parent involved and also want to keep doing ministry. Like how did you cope with all of that? Oh, yeah. I, God in his kindness had given us that long home assignment before we came back and so we'd actually settled into that area and developed friendships and uh, settled into uh, a church in the area so I'm really thankful it wasn't this huge adjustment um, but oh, coming back as a missionary and you think who's going to employ me you've got all these questions about yourself how is anyone going to use the skills that I've developed over the last 11 years uh, not sure how my husband's health would go would he recover and so what sort of role should I be looking for? We actually applied for the family minister role as a job share and, and we're thinking that we would share the role and if my husband was getting better, he could take on more of the role and I could step back or vice versa. Wanting to pick a role that would work in terms of our understanding of our gifts and the roles that we would want to take on in the church. And so that was complex as well because it was not knowing which direction that would go in. And, yeah, just, oh, yeah, having to think about a role that would provide for our family so my husband could rest, not feel like he would need to be doing any of that. So all of those worries 
and you look at it and they're absolutely understandable worries but at the same time you think we know God's sovereign we know God's generous and he provided in each of those areas and in a role that meant we, we didn't have to move and our kids could stay at school and we were close to family support. It's like he's, uh, yeah, so sometimes I feel this disconnect in myself that I know truths about God, but then I think maybe he won't deliver this time, um, but he does. Yeah. yeah, and isn't it lovely that you can look back and go, well, he did there and he did there and he did there. And it's like, it reminds me, I've been reading through quite a lot of Psalms lately. And when times are tough, you know, the Psalmist will cry out to God, but also say, but God, you're mighty and, and you did this then and you, and you did that then. And it's like reminding God, but reminding themselves how good God is and how he has in the past and how he will this time at some, at some point. We might yeah. not know. It might not be immediate. It might be in the future, but he will. Yeah. He will deliver. And that lovely reciting of those events of how God acted in the past for Israel and was faithful. And we can look back to the cross and say, mm. I think this is such a big issue, but he's already dealt with the biggest issue in the world. And then I just kept on looking back and thinking, you took our family to South Asia and settled us in for ministry for 11 years. Surely it's going to be easier to do this thing. <laughs> Oh, but, I, yeah. but I think that remembering how God's acted in, in the past, but also remembering who God is, is such an important part of our lives. We just we need to be reminding each other, remembering together yeah. when we forget yep. who God is and yeah, and, what his character is like. And like you said, just constantly reminding each other of the cross because we know it's central in our heads and yet when we're going through a difficult year or when we're hearing somebody else's struggle, yeah, sometimes it, what's immediate is is just more in, in our face and we just need to just keep reminding ourselves that he's done his biggest work in the cross, hasn't he, and yeah. just bring that into everything. Yes, sort of tip, <laughs> a step back from these things that we think are huge to look at that bigger picture and to actually see. Yeah, absolutely. God is able to do so much more. Yep. Yeah. more than we ask or imagine. Yes. Oh, thanks, Joe. So you are now the CEO of Anglican Deaconess Ministries, which is affectionately called ADM, yeah. <laughs> very quickly, ADM. <laughs> How long? So you've been in the role for about six months, is that right? Yes, yeah, started at the end of last year. But it's been a delightful whirlwind. <laughs> but um, tell me a bit about ADM itself first, like the history of ADM. Where did it come from? How did yeah. it start? It's this amazing organisation. So it's been around for about 130 years. It started with an Anglican minister and his wife in Sydney taking a quarter of his stipend and putting it aside to equip women for ministry. And they'd seen a lay order in Germany and they decided to set up something similar. So this is before women could be deaconed in Sydney Diocese. They set up a lay order for women called the deaconesses. So that's why you get that word deaconess in the title. And so they started off in this really small way, training women, uh, praying, responding to needs that they noticed, and God in his kindness just kept on growing it as an organisation. A really strong history of noticing real needs, yeah, marginalised communities, hard places and responding. So ADM historically has set up schools, 
homes, working with uh, girls coming out of the juvenile justice system, nursing homes, uh, and two palliative care hospitals, Naringa and Greenwich hospitals. Uh, so God took that small beginning and just grew it and grew it and grew it as people prayed, as people gave, and as the deaconesses were trained out. And they were sent out to work across Australia in a whole range of different dioceses and sent out across the world as well as missionaries. Uh, so our theological college, Mary's Andrews College, is named after a missionary who went to China with CMS. So these amazing, gritty, persevering women who set aside their lives to serve Christ uh, wherever he called them to. So, yeah, just amazing organisation to be part of. The face of ADM has changed over the years as our society has changed, as needs have changed. So now we have Mary Andrews College, a theological college, which is focused on equipping everyday women for discipleship and particularly for pastoral care. We've got a great focus in that. We've got a mental health and pastoral care institute with Keith and Sarah Condy. We also do public events to provide platforms and spaces for Christian women. So we have an annual public lecture, for example. And we also have funding and grants to put money directly into the hands of Christian women, whether they're serving in the church or whether they're serving in kind of that mercy ministry, compassionate ministry space, or whether they're women in their professions or in academia, Christian women, but all with the same focus of wanting to bring the gospel to the world, wherever God has placed them. I love the funding and grants because it gives us a chance to see women who are doing really innovative, interesting things so that people get to hear about it. But it's also this lovely acknowledgement of the amazing work that God's doing through women often quite quietly, sometimes loudly and, you know, with lots of opportunities to be public, but it's often just that really faithful work and being able to encourage and acknowledge them. Oh, that's fantastic. Actually, as you know, I came down for one of the funding days for the Lydia Project (laughs) and it it would have been about three years ago and it was such an encouraging day because we were selected to be, you know, we were shortlisted and so we had to pitch for people who are listening, like basically we had to go in and sell the Lydia Project. So it was yeah. a great, great experience for me. You know, what is the Lydia Project about? How do we want it to grow? What will we use the money for, you know, if we're successful? And just hearing everybody else, there would have been about 15 people in the day. It was brilliant. It was such a great day. I loved it. So, yeah, it, it was great. But actually I did want to ask you a bit more about that because people who are listening might be hearing you thinking okay well this is Sydney Anglican ADM do I have to be a Sydney Anglican to apply for the funding event but they don't do they no they don't and we're working really hard to actually get the word out across Australia because historically we've worked across Australia and beyond Australia no, you don't need to be Anglican and we regularly have funded or had people involved or, or coming along to train at our college who are not Anglican The gospel is our highest priority. So we want to be a springboard for women into gospel work uh, in a whole range of different places. And so that might not fit, even though we're an Anglican organisation, that might, you might not feel that you're part of that, but I hope you hear our heart for seeing the gospel go out, lived out, God's kingdom growing. And so that's who we want to be partnering with. 
Yeah, fantastic. And so if people have, they're involved in a ministry, no, I'm going to keep trying to sell it for you because I think there will be people who haven't heard of this that might be interested. If people have a ministry that they're involved in but they want to grow and need some funding and support or if they haven't even started it but, you know, they'd like some sort of seed funding, they could actually get onto your website and have a look and see if maybe they could apply for some grant funding. Is that right? Yeah, the best place to go is our website. So just Google Anglican Deaconess Ministries and there's a funding and grant section and it will talk about our main areas. So you're talking about annual funding event, Mm. which is seed funding for either a new idea or a new initiative or a new ministry or to develop an existing ministry, different amounts available for that. And as you've said, and I've been an African in previous years too, it's a great process for helping sharpen your idea as well just stepping through that process is really helpful for bringing clarity and helping you connect up with other people we also offer fellowships um, every year and the fellowships are from six to 12 months and therefore women to work on a major project in their where in the area where god has placed them this year we've got someone who's a lawyer Uh, who's looking at the issue of dignity and what the Bible, uh, what the Christian faith has to bring to that space. We've got Dr. Ruth Lacabio, who's a lecturer at YouthWorks, who's done her PhD looking at youth ministry and wants to turn that into a textbook. Uh, We've got Lily Strawn, who who works in university ministry, who's looking at uh, bipolar and caring for people with bipolar. So we've got all these really amazing women. So it's just thinking, what do you need? Do you need some space, a cohort and funding to work on a project over six months or 12 months? We also provide funding for women in ministry. It might be for theological training. It might be for a resource like a laptop. It might be towards paid parental leave. Uh, so yeah, we've got, depending on what you're doing, there's probably something there for you. Can I suggest going to the website's the best thing and signing up for our newsletter because that's when you hear about the deadlines because they have specific deadlines every year. And if you miss them, you'll have to wait 12 months. Yep. So it's really worthwhile to get the newsletter. We don't spam you, um, but just really worthwhile to have those dates. Yes, um, I, I can I can vouch you don't spam. <laughs> They're good <laughs> newsletters. And also I think the other thing you mentioned that people, some of their ministries are quite big and public, but others are quite small. And I think what ADM does along the way through any of those, even if people aren't successful in the funding or winners or whatever of the category, it's actually really encouraging to have ADM saying, yeah, we want to hear more about this idea and we want to put you with other people who've got ideas. And yeah, it is very encouraging. It's, I've, I've, as I've been talking to more and more Christian women, I've noticed how crucial that encouragement is of having been around other people people who are like-minded or for them to say tap you on the shoulder and say this is good but also how important it is to have the examples of women so that as a Christian woman you're not just looking at your local church and thinking look I just don't I don't just want to be a youth minister or a women's minister I've got these gifts and these qualifications and experience and to be able to see women kind of using them in a range of different roles so there's examples to think I could do that or to prayerfully consider a new idea or a new initiative but just to see here all those different stories to think about the range of roles that women can have the things that God's doing is yeah really yeah fantastic I know and I am completely on board with it because that's something that I really want the Lydia project to do is to be able to showcase 
different ministries that people are involved in and, you know, be able to inspire, encourage people in their own ministries or to think about praying about a different type of ministry that they've heard about. So I am 100% on board with all of that, show. Now, where does all the money come from? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, because God very faithfully grew those ministries over years and that included hospitals, ADM's now an endowed trust. And so the money comes from from the sale of those hospitals and assets over many years. And so now we have an endowed trust that generates the income for being able to give out funding and grants. So it's lovely back to women. And it's lovely to not be dependent on funding priorities of other organisations or, you know, to be able to set this as an important agenda and to be able to, yeah, think strategically but also generously about how we use those funds. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you, Joe. Thanks for explaining all of that. I think that's that'll be very interesting and hopefully really encouraging and helpful for people to hear about. Oh, now something you mentioned at the beginning before we started recording was you were annoyed by notifications that came when you were doing deep work. Now tell me, Joe. <laughs> You strike me as a very efficient person. What is deep work? <laughs> uh, deep work is probably sounds more highfalutin and intense than it actually is. It's for me, it's a commitment of a day a week that I work from home where I try to ignore the notifications from my computer and what's coming in on the email. And I set aside time to work on priority areas. And oh, Speaking of, sorry, that's my phone. How embarrassing. Sorry, Joe. Priorities and not getting distracted. I thought I turned it off before. Oh, dear. This is real life, peoples. So not getting distracted and working on priorities. So like the important stuff, not the urgent stuff. Is that... Kind yeah. of, and I've been really enjoying using the monk manual this year. It's, oh, a, it's a daily, weekly, monthly planner mm-hmm. that you set goals for the year, you, then you break them down into months and weeks, and it has a really lovely reflective process. So, you look at the end of that day or week or month back on how you've seen God at work and where you He might want to be growing you. So, just trying to pull back reset my priorities because the middle of the week with all of the emails and people setting up meetings it's very easy to lose sight of the forest for the trees and to have a slower start so not to be rushing my time with the Lord and also to have a day with my husband so we you know he brings in a cup of tea we get to have lunch together so in quite a busy role it creates a space in the middle of the week where we touch base as well lovely and how many staff do you manage at ADM Uh, if you include all our adjunct lecturers I think it's about 23 so it's a nice size team and just incredible team, incredibly gifted people. They really keep me on my toes. Really, they're people who love Jesus and are really committed to seeing spaces made for Christian women. So they're all really passionate about what they do. So yeah, it's a great place to work. This year we're doing, we're refreshing our strategic plan. And so it's really lovely to have these conversations and to think, what what could we do? Where might God be leading us? What are the opportunities? Looking back as well, thinking about our historical roots. But, yes, yeah, just a really great team to do that with, very capable team. Fantastic. And so is that a large part of your deep work, that kind of priorities and what, what, what are your 
what are your big things at the moment in your work? Yeah, so at the moment, this month, we're running consultations with a whole group, a, a whole bunch of different people. Bring, I mean, it's, it's so rarely in the Christian church that we stop and get together and think about what's happening and what our priorities are. And so we wanted to do that in conversation with people. Most of those are women. And so we've invited lots of people, including yourself, Tori, yeah. <laughs> along to a forum uh, because we want people to have that conversation together and not just be focused around what do we do as an organisation. I'd be really excited if people come along to those forums and think of an idea and go off and do it with someone they've met in the consultation. So we don't have to do it all. But just to stop and think, what's missing? There's some really great things happening for Christian women, but there are some huge gaps as well. And so to be having that conversation then and thinking about prayerfully where God would have us go. Yeah, I've got a few little projects on the boil at the moment. I'd love to see us set up professional supervision groups for women in ministry. Professional supervision is something that's on the national radar. It came out of the Royal Commission uh, and we've got incredibly gifted, qualified professional supervisors as part of our adjunct lecturers. And so thinking, how can we do that? And often in a group, that supervision is really helpful because women are getting that connection as well as that professional supervision makes it more affordable for them as well, rather than individual supervision. Uh, for the last two years, I've been part of a women's group that helps us develop expository preaching. Uh, so that's been in the Hills area. At the moment, we're working on a project to see whether we can set up a core group of women with some really great input, some really great development. They'll meet over a year and then hopefully, God willing, they will go off to their areas all around Sydney and set up these little groups. So to be able to help women faithfully handle the word of God. But I've also seen in that group the encouragement. So the one in the hills, we've got two women going on to study theological degrees for as part of the encouragement they've had from that group. I realised that uh, women preaching is a complex space in Sydney. So our focus on the groups is on the what of preparing an expository talk rather than the where. So we're not actually making any comment about where women will use those gifts. We just, we just want people hand, women handling the word of God. And very rarely do I see the depth of exegesis that comes apart from preparing a whole talk. And so just seeing the value of that. Gosh, what else are we working on? There's so many things happening. <laughs> so I oh, definitely need enough. my, my top three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the monk method that you mentioned, is that M-O-N-K? Yeah, the and is it a it's a Christian sort of uh, yeah. productivity type yeah. of tool? Okay. Yeah, and it's mentioned, it picks up on the kind of examine uh, reflection questions that some people use. Someone could use it who's not a Christian, although it refers to God. One of the AFE annual funding event applicants from last year was for a magazine called Soul Tread, yep. uh, which is a Christian magazine. And they'd done a review of annual planners that actually have more of a reflection um, pulling in. So, because you know how you tend to have your quiet time and then you pull your diary out and the two never connect up? Except <laughs> so, for call that person who I've just prayed for. That's where I have both yeah. of mine together. I'm praying for someone I think, well, I need to call them. So that goes in the diary. <laughs> yeah. It was actually, you know, there were a couple of different approaches reviewed in that magazine, but I found that really helpful in bringing those two together. Okay. And, you know, and ask questions like, how can I be generous today before I start the day? 
So I'm thinking, how can I show God's grace? I've got my, I've got my diary, you know, for the day listed there. I've got my to-do list next to it. But how can I be generous in that? How can I be caring for people? How can I, yeah, just think about living out God's grace mm. in the day? And also at the end of the day, when I tend to just remember all of the things I've done wrong and should do better, it asks questions about when was I at my best? And often those moments are not the big achievement things. They're actually moments with people or just when God's enabled me to live out part of his truth and asking the question, what would God want, something like, what what would God want to do me to do differently tomorrow or next week? And so being able to reflect as well. And I put my quiet time notes in the section there. So in the morning, I read through my passages. I put my verses there. And so I'm able to reflect on that during the day as I'm reading the Bible. Well, Joe, do you have a favourite Bible verse that you can share with us? Yeah, the, um, it's a great question to ask. I think a verse that's travelled me, with me for many years is John chapter 15, verse 5. And it's uh, Jesus speaking and he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's a verse that comes back to me time and time again. And there's a few reasons for that. One is the connection with ADM. For a number of years as an organisation, we've talked about that image of flourishing and of seeing women flourish wherever God has placed them as they serve Christ. Uh, but it's this rich biblical image that we have across the whole of the Bible and it, it bookends the Bible. So we've got this garden image in Genesis and then we've got this amazing image in Revelation of the new Jerusalem and that river flowing and the new creation and that place of security and peace. And then in between, we've got Psalm 1 and the tree planted by streams of water and Psalm 23. And so, you know, it just keeps on coming up time and time again. Uh, it, this verse brings it together for me, though, and says, you know, we only flourish as we flourish in Christ, as we remain in him. And it's interesting because the gospel already tells me that I'm in Christ, that I've died in him, that I've been raised with him, I've died to self, that Christ is now alive in me, I've been raised with him. So it's a reality, a heaven reality, heavenly reality. But it also reminds me of this daily process of remaining in Jesus, of dwelling in him, in uh, digging down deeply into the truths of the gospel and letting them shape who I am and how I live and what my priorities are each day of not just knowing those things but resting in them and trusting in him. So that daily uh, process of once again remaining in him. But I think the thing that really challenges me is this sense of absolute dependence on him and that apart from, apart from him I can do nothing. It doesn't say less. It doesn't say a worse job. It says nothing. Um, and so this sense of, just this question that comes back to me all the time, what am I not praying about? What am I not trusting him for? And so it just reminds me that in all the questions about KPIs and, you know, annual goals and strategic plans and all of these things that we can plan, that apart from Jesus, 
we can do none of those things. So we can do a whole bunch of stuff that's busy and will look like we're getting lots of things done, but it's actually nothing without him. So yeah, great verse that I love coming back to. Oh, thank you. Thanks for talking about it too. That's that's great. And I think it probably leads into my the answer you'll give to my next question, but what keeps you standing firm in Christ? A dear friend and colleague that I worked with previously at one point said, Jesus is the only hope of the world. And he is. There's no one else. There's nothing else. Anything else that we put in his place is second best. And just a reminder of the urgency of the gospel and that helps me stand firm in Christ because I think if I if I don't get this, if I don't live this, there are implications and consequences of that. It reminds me that every person needs to come to know Jesus and that every moment and every conversation that I have, Christian, non-Christian, that's the big question, is how do I help them come to know Jesus or, or to grow in him? And so Jesus being the only hope of the world reminds me to not only know the gospel in my head uh, and to be able to answer it if someone asks me to answer, provide that answer, but to lean into it daily and to be resting in it and refreshed by it. And so for me, that's the why of why I, I'm a CEO of ADM. That's the why for any Christian you're the mum at the school gate, you're serving at your church. That's our why. Jesus is our why. And that should shape everything. It should make absolute sense that I change university degrees or I consider going overseas or any of those things because that why is the, he's the most important why and our lives should reflect that. So, yeah, that urgency, the fact that he's the only hope, reminds me that Jesus is the person everyone needs to meet. And if I can do something as part of my day to be part of what God is already doing, then I should be doing that. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for your time too. Thank you for answering all my questions about you and your life and your work. And, yeah, I really appreciate the time we've been able to chat despite the little pings of phones <laughs> and other interruptions. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Lydia Project. We would love you to share this episode with others, whether that be by word of mouth, social media, or leaving a review on iTunes. You can find us on most platforms using the handle at TLPCWCW. Music is Wholesome 7 by Dave Depper and voiceover is by me, Jennifer Mary. 